0: From Square Two, this is What's Wrong With Revenue? I'm Mike Lieberman, CEO at Square Two, and along with my longtime friend, Eric Kalis, and co-founder at Square Two and six-time entrepreneur, Eric and I will answer the questions CEOs have every single day, what's wrong with revenue? You can be part of the live show where we'll answer your questions every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern, or catch the show on demand on YouTube and on all your favorite podcast networks. Also check out all our audio and video content on Square Two Plus at the square2marketing.com website. Enjoy the show. Hey everybody, it's Mike Lieberman. Welcome to What's Wrong With Revenue, episode 38. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking about one of Eric and my most passionate topics, creating the right experience for your prospects and customers. Eric, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, thanks. You're back in town. It's nice to see your travels ended safely.
1: Yes, safety first.
0: Awesome. Great. So like I said, today we're going to talk about what might be causing you some revenue issues is you haven't really thought about the experience your prospects or customers are getting. So today, the experience you create for your prospects and clients is so important to everything. People are judging you based on that experience. They're deciding whether to hire you or not based on that experience. They're deciding whether to refer you or not based on that experience. If your growth is challenged, then there's a very good possibility that you're delivering a mediocre or even poor experience before, during, and after prospects work with sales. So there's an experience being delivered on marketing. There's an experience being delivered by the sales team. And there's even an experience being delivered after someone says yes, and they become a customer. So that means that we really got to double down and make sure we understand all of those touch points, everything that's going on throughout the experience in all three of those areas, and then what we can do to fix it. And that's what we're gonna talk about today on the show. We're gonna map out how you actually um, plan out your prospect and customer buyer journey. We're gonna help you identify all the touch points starting with marketing and running all through sales and customer service. We're gonna talk about how to upgrade even the smallest touch touch points with what we call little wows. And we'll talk about that a little bit too. That's an experience that people are willing to talk about. And then we're going to also talk about how this leads to better lead generation, more sales opportunities, more referrals, more repeat business. And then we'll have all of our questions as usual. Don't forget, you can check out the show on YouTube at the Square2 Marketing Channel. Like us, subscribe to the show, comment. We love comments. You can also get the show on Square2 Plus, our free streaming service at the Square2 website square2marketing.com backslash square2, P-L-U-S. All of our audio and video content is there. And we update that every single week. And if you want to submit questions or you want to get notifications about the show, head on over to our site. And at the bottom, there's a link called What's Wrong With Revenue. Click it. And there's a whole page about the show. You can submit questions and you can also get this on your calendar. So you never forget to miss an episode live. So, Eric, we're talking about the experience. I know this is something you're passionate about. Kick us off today with some really insightful commentary about why this is so important.
1: Well, we're humans, right? We like to have a pleasant experience, not a bad one. Also, when I'm spending my hard-earned dollars, I want someone to accommodate me and give me the things that I need or require so I feel good about that purchase, whether it's B2C, retail store experience, or you know, B2B where I'm uh, buying online or uh, 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 doing commerce with people remotely, it's gotta be a great experience. And I think for the most part, um, people fall down in this area, which is why I was excited about today's show that hopefully our listeners can get a few nuggets to help them think differently about how they could stand in the shoes of their prospects and look at their companies through their eyes.
0: That's such a good point and great way to kick us off. And, you know, one of the points, that you mentioned briefly is that you know, a lot of people look at the kind of marketing or the kind of sales they're doing, whether it's B2C or B2B, or if you're selling to the government. And honestly, those are all interesting uh, labels, but when you think about it, we're all trying to do business with each other. It's a P2P exercise, honestly, especially this, this day and age when there's so many tools, that allow you to personalize messaging and really do one-to-one marketing you really have to start thinking about the experience your prospects and customers are having with your business and if you think about your own experiences with companies that you've come in contact with it's how you judge them whether you do business with them or not you're in judgment mode from really the very first time you walk into a place you know like oh is it clean is it well lit is it fr- are people looking friendly or are they looking sour you know is someone here to take care of me uh, I think Eric, you told a story a couple of sesh, uh, episodes ago about was it a car dealer where no one came to get you? You were just kind of like stood around for a while. Was that was that was it a car dealer?
1: Yes, it is. And that, yeah. that experience literally, and I mean, that was a couple episodes ago. That experience literally just ended yesterday morning. It was been a nightmare to fix my car, right. and that is like big. Because everybody needs their car fixed and everybody who fixes cars knows that everybody needs their car fixed and there's lots of competition and for them to fall down so dramatically was just super frustrating. I can comfortably say I would never use that specific auto repair shop again, Um, you know, why would I when I can just go somewhere else, even if the experience is mediocre it's better than bad.
0: Yeah. So if we're all judging and we are, we're judging these businesses from the get go. We're judging them on their website. We're judging them on their content. We're judging them on their story. We're judging them on how they email us. You know, we see this a lot. The marketing is actually pretty good and the educational content is good and the website experience is good. And then someone finally Belly's up to the bar and says, yeah, I'd like to talk to a salesperson. And the whole experience shifts. They're getting, they're getting slammed by emails. Can we have an appointment? Can I send you a contract? Can I do a proposal? We're like, wait a minute. Like this, this is not the experience I had when I was learning about this company. Now they're putting the hard sell on me and my experience is, is degrading. So I'm not interested in continuing here. So um, there's a lot for us to go into here. Let's start a little bit with this concept of the buyer journey. And Eric, maybe you could talk a little bit about the cyclonic buyer journey, which is our buyer journey framework and how that might help someone start to unpack their prospect and customer's experience.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously, our listeners can read Smash the Funnel, our book, where we go into much granular detail about the uh, b- a cyclonic buyer's journey. But basically, there is no more top of funnel, middle funnel, bottom of funnel anymore. Nobody buys things in a linear fashion. I don't wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to buy a $50,000 piece of software. And by five o'clock, I've signed the purchase order. There's a lot of work to be done in between. In fact, there's so much influence going on with noise, data uh conversations going on that it's very circular and sometimes i pop out of the processes sometimes i pop back in i literally had this where i was in the final stages of closing a new client and they said up oh, leadership has changed the priorities we have to push this to q3 no problem but obviously they didn't intend for that to happen but now they're buying had uh, to jump right back into maybe two stage two steps ago and start over in july or august when today is june right No problem. We understand that. So when you're talking about the buyer's journey, they're going to go through a bunch of steps. Pre-awareness. I don't even know I have a problem. Awareness. I now have a problem and I'm looking for a solution. Um, consideration. I'm going and looking at different options. Education. I'm now learning about those options and trying to figure it out. Um, Uh, rationalization? No, no.
0: Evaluation.
1: Evaluation, right? I've narrowed my options down and I'm evaluating a couple. Now I found the one I like, I'm rationalizing it. Ongoing delivery, sorry, decision and then ongoing delivery. So without going too deeply into the steps, the theory or the feeling that you get from this is that there are many, many steps. And now to add another layer of complexity, there's many, many people making decisions at the buying, uh, Uh, companies or families or whatever you're pitching, right? So you have multiple people with multiple steps that it becomes quite the matrix to figure out. The one thing that people really, really want in that situation is clarity. And what I mean by that is that they want to start, they want to do research, they want to have solid answers, they want to talk to people that know what they're talking about, they want to have paperwork that's tight and not um, uh, 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 mistake-ridden and they want to get exactly what they bought and maybe a little extra for that free prize inside because they had such a good experience. That seems like it's simple and it seems like it should be table stakes. But what I just said is not grasped by the vast majority of companies out there that are trying to bring people along through a process to get them to buy their goods or services. And that's a big breakdown because it's not hard. Our superpowers at Square Two, as we said often, is to simply just listen to our clients, accept what they tell us, but stand in their prospect shoes to validate what's going on there. When you stand in the shoes of a prospective client, you see things from a whole different way. When I go into a retail store and I see boxes piled up in front of the counter, I can see those as, oh, I wonder why those boxes are there. Why didn't they put that stuff away? Is that stuff being returned? Is that stuff that's damaged? Immediately, it opens it up to a subpar experience because a little thing like a few messy boxes immediately uh, taints the experience. Or the other way around, when I go to a restaurant and I'm immediately greeted and the server's wonderful and the silverware is clean and the food comes out in the perfect cadence and Everything's delicious. And then at the very end, they say, and of course, here's a few little sweet tidbits from the chef to thank you for your meal, free prize inside. All of a sudden, I'm telling all my friends, this is the greatest restaurant. And all they had to do is say, well, if I was eating in this restaurant, what would I like to see? Is it so hard to be greeted quickly and to have a clean table and to have um, food come out on time? I don't think so. That's what a restaurant's all about. (laughs) <laughs> but people really discount the fact they want to look at it through their eyes as the owner or the operators of the business and not through the eyes of the prospect. And that shift will cause all sorts of really rich conversations amongst your team about how they can do it. At Square Two, we're doing it all the time and it's actually kind of fun. Hey, Mike, what if we did this? People would love it. Yeah, let's do that. And that's all we're talking about here is to uh, look at this experience through their eyes and give them everything they want, table stakes, and it even a drop more.
0: I think the I think there's a lot of, or I, 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 I'm assuming that there are a lot of people out there who would like to make the experience better, but don't know how to go about doing it, or don't know go, about, don't know how to go about maybe identifying some of the intricacies associated with it. Like, yes, it's easy to move the boxes into the back, but when you're talking about a B2B sale, um, you know, marketing to a B2B client, long sales cycle, like complex sale, high ticket average, it might be a little more complicated than that. the 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 problem with the funnel, which a lot of people lean on, is it doesn't really address the buyer journey. The funnel simply addresses the progression of a lead from, you know, beginning the, the, the three most highest uh, steps along the way. It's not detailed enough to help someone go in and and work more uh, more strategically to create the experience. So, you know, I don't want to go into the details of the cyclonic buyer journey either, but Each of those stages that Eric mentioned are very specific because the prospect and customer at the end is in a very specific state of mind. That's how those stages are designed based on the thinking of the prospect. So if you are interested in changing the experience and you know what the prospect is thinking, like for instance, when they're in the pre-awareness stage, they don't even know they need you. They might very well need you, You have to work differently to get them to think that they need you than for someone that is actively looking for what you do. So, again, those are just two very clear differences in terms of the state of mind of the prospect. The experience you create for someone that doesn't know they need you is going to be different than the experience you create for someone who knows they need you and is looking at you and all your competitors to decide who they want to hire. Um, they've actually already decided. They're decided. They're hiring somebody. They're just you know trying to decide which of these three companies do I think is going to be best for me. Those are that's a much different experience than someone who doesn't know they have your problem. So the buyer, whatever framework you use and however you map out your your prospect and customers buyer journey, make sure that you're able to uh, consider that part of their process that they're going through to try to decide what to do and what to buy, and from there the next bit of guidance we're going to give you is to actually consider every single touch point that might interact with that prospect in each of those stages. And this is when it can get a little overwhelming. And this is when perhaps like a, a group of people working on this together with a whiteboard would be helpful because you know you can brainstorm a little bit. Oh, well, we send an invoice here. And oh, we, we send this welcome email here. And oh, the sales uses these three emails to try to get the prospect in, into the demo. And then here's where the demo comes. Like when you really start to talk it out and you identify all those touch points, you're gonna have a very long list. And that long list, you should be encouraged that you have that long list, not overwhelmed by it. Every single one of those touch points It's going to give you an opportunity to upgrade the experience, create an even better experience, and also differentiate your experience from your competitor's experience. And this is big from a marketing and sales perspective. You literally can do a lot to win the business with some of the very first touch points. Um, If your website speaks to them better than your competitor's website, they're going to be more emotionally connected to you. If your content is better and answers their questions better than your competitors, they're going to be more likely to want to do business with you. If the handoff to sales is more elegant than their than your competitors, they're going to feel better when they start talking to the salesperson. If you send them a picture or a video of the person they're going to talk to, they're not going to be so intimidated when they hop on the phone. They're not going to feel like someone's going to try to jam an agreement down their throat if you set the table for how you're going to work with them. All of those little interactions is something that we mentioned in the um, intro, but Disney is amazing at this. And Disney calls these little wows, these little touches that they use to create this amazing experience for people that interact with the Disney brand. And we could go through tons of them. If you've been to any Disney property or any kind of Disney experience, you probably have experienced them. You know that Disney's in Florida and California waiting in the line, it's super hot. They realized that people were sweating, waiting in this line for an hour. What did they do? Threw up some sprinklers, threw up some misters to keep everybody cool, put some extra fans, blow some cold air in there. Now Look, you're not in an air conditioned cooler but you are certainly much more comfortable while you're waiting in line you also notice that they've extended the experience out into the so the queue now weaves its way through dark passages if you're in the mummy ride or harry potter things if you're in i'm be universal but you get the idea like they're extending the experience out of the ride into where people are waiting because that experience waiting is one of the worst experiences when you go to to properties like that when you take a cruise or you're in the hotel they make little animals out of their towels you know they move the mickey mouse around so that when the kids come in they think mickey mouse is alive like all those little touches that housekeeping is doing are examples of little wows that impact the experience of people that participate in you know disney experiences and you got to think the same way for your company so eric i was doing a lot of talking you want to add anything to that
1: No, I think the little wows are a great way to sum it up. Uh, Stop for yourself and say, at this point, what can we do to wow a prospective client? And that's the only question, right? Um, Well, what if I send them? uh, So for us, one of the things we do is we send a copy of our book right at the beginning. Hey, we want you to educate yourself all of a sudden in an Amazon package, because we used to chip of ourselves, but COVID now it's Amazon and Amazon package arrives free of charge. Hey, here's a book, help yourself, educate, find out this is a mission critical decision. Let us help you. Uh, other firms don't send a book. So we have a little plus in our column as to that little wow that they get as they're going through the journey.
0: Yeah. And our, and, and like we talked, the little wow shouldn't stop after they sign your agreement. We, We try to continue the little wows. We send our our new clients a plant. When we kick off our engagement with them, we would like to grow together. We want their business to grow. We want this plant to grow. We want our relationship to grow. It's just another one of those touches that we use to, to reinforce our messaging, our story, and our relationship with our clients. So When you get this long list of touches, and there's gonna be many of them, remember you have to include things like the email from the accounts payable department asking for payment. Like that is a touch. And how can we make this a little more remarkable? How can we make our, how can we ask for money while still doing it in a brand focused way? Or one that like continues to cultivate a strong positive relationship. Like that might take a little bit of work, but it's very doable. When you start to break this down.
1: We had a a 10 page agreement now we have a two-page agreement. Correct. And and that was bogging it down. People weren't having a great experience. That's a great
0: point. Why don't you talk about that a little bit? Because I see that quite often with clients, they have very legal agreements. Just talk about how that was like slowing down the experience and causing people angst and why we adjusted it accordingly.
1: Well, it's been about, I don't know, four or five years. And we just called our attorney and said, what can we do to make this 10-page agreement, two pages? Because Every time we send the 10 page agreement, people feel they have to have an attorney look at it. And how can we have it in regular English? So it's not all legalese that people feel intimidated. And honestly, he worked on it for a good bit because it's obviously not an attorney's wheelhouse to simplify it into English, but he was able to come up with a really great place. The other thing that he counseled us on, no pun intended, was that he goes, look, you got the kind of business that if someone doesn't want to pay their bill, they're just not going to pay their bill. So- the paperwork is not going to be like if we're, you know, GM negotiating with our car parts manufacturers, that has a much more litigious uh, flavor. So we said, great, put it into plain English. And if they, and, and instead of calling it a contract, we now call it agreement to make it so that people say, well, this is simple enough. And I read it. I understand everything. I'm just going to sign it and send it back. Now, did I have to pay legal fees in order to do that? Yes. But that has returned itself. 1000x over the years in getting new clients to sign up quicker getting them into the system hitting the monthly numbers for simply something as a contract so you know i as a business owner get those contracts as well and i gotta tell you a lot of times i'm like it's 3:30 in the afternoon i'm too tired to go through it you know what i'll put it aside till tomorrow then tomorrow comes and i'm busy and then two days later i'm like you know what i'm outsourcing this to the attorney who then says i'm out for a week and the whole thing bogs down If they would send me a one pager that says you agreed to sign up for this service, you agree you're going to pay your bill at this amount every month. We agree we're going to do this. Sign here, and we'll get going. I would probably sign it on the spot.
0: Yeah, I think it's such a good example of what we're talking about. You know, you are when a legal agreement shows up on the person's desk who's not a lawyer. How do they feel? They're anxious, right? They don't understand everything that's in it. They might even be nervous that they could potentially sign something for the business that puts the business in jeopardy. So what do they do? Like, well, I guess I better get someone who is a lawyer who knows what this means to look at it, to make sure the company is protected. All that time, they're anxious, right? What if the lawyer finds something? What if our attorney finds something that's a non-starter here? I might not be able to move forward with this project. I don't want to have to start again. I like this company. Like all that time, they're anxious. And when you do look at a prospect journey and you do map it and you do start to uncover these touch points. One of the things we do with clients is we have like a a feeling item for each of the stages in the buyer journey. How does the prospect feel? If they feel anxious or nervous or scared or at risk in any way, that's a pretty strong signal that we have to work on that part of the prospect journey to make that you know, uh, turn that frown upside down and get them feeling good about it, right? You get the two-page agreement written in English and they can read it. And they're like, yeah, this all seems straightforward to me. Like, I don't know why come they don't have a legal contract, but I like it. I can sign this. There's nothing in here that I don't understand. Let's get going. Like they have. there's a happy face there. There is no an- an- anxiousness associated with that part of the buyer journey. And that's at the decision stage. So again, it's such a good example of where people might feel like, well, they said yes. And they asked for the contract. uh, we're done, right? Sales is done, right? If they don't sign, that's on someone else. Well, it's not true. You have to get the agreement back to to start the engagement. And if it takes two more weeks, your sales cycle is two weeks longer than it needs to be. And that can have significant impact on revenue. So it's an excellent example of how um, that little touch point can be re-architected to provide a much better experience. Okay. So I want, you're a big proponent in strategy. You constantly r- remind us to think about strategy. And I have a note here that this really needs to be thought through during the strategy stage of, of uh, you know, go to market, right? So can you talk about that a little bit before we hop into
1: questions? Yeah. So in the strategy space, we're going to go to market, right? We want to sell a, a new widget. We're designing the buyer's journey. And then, of course, we have to create the marketing and sales support materials to then match up with that journey. So the strategy is understanding who we're selling to. Now, I literally just got off the phone before I jumped on today's episode with a prospect who clearly outlined four personas, persona being the description of the person that we want to target. Each one of those personas that this person outlined couldn't have been any different. One was a lab director. The other one was an insurance company because it was in the medical space and they had to appeal to all these different people. So strategically, the first thing you have to do is identify your personas and segment them. Now let's work on persona one. The first thing we have to understand is what their pains and problems are. Because if we don't understand what pains and problems there are, and we don't understand how they're trying to solve those pains and problems, then nothing we do is gonna match up with that. I love when I go to the plumber's website and you see the trucks out front and the staff waving, and all I keep thinking about is I have a foot of water in my basement. How do I get rid of it? That's such a mismatch between the message and the journey to buy my pain and problem. I mean, it's simplistic, but it's very powerful. So once you understand the pains and problems, now you have to start to map strategically what will they go through in order to solve that problem? And now that's the root of the creation of the buyer's journey. If you don't start there and you just start saying, well, we'll give them some case studies, we'll throw some videos at them, it's not fluid, it's not, it's disjoint, it's not matching what they're going through. Now, Who knows better than anybody what they're going through? Your sales team. They've had calls with prospects that just started their journey. They have calls with prospects in the middle of the journey. Obviously, they have lots of calls with prospects at the end of the journey. So if they don't know, which I'd be shocked, then ask them to ask questions. Hey, when you called us and you were interested in talking to our company about our product or service, what were your considerations? Why did you call? Well, what problem are you trying to solve? Tell them to shut up and listen and take lots of notes and bring it to the next marketing and sales meeting because that's the essence, the goal, where the rubber meets the road. When someone says, I'm concerned about integrating your piece of software in with my existing tech stack, stop right there. That's a big problem. Now, what content can we create to show them that our software could be integrated with any piece of software? And let's get a video of not only our internal person saying, I put together 16 different kinds of technology and a client saying, I couldn't believe how easy it was to integrate my two pieces of software. Understanding that, the prospect going through the journey says, oh, these people got it covered. Let me move on to my next issue. And that's where mapping it out based on their pains of problems are pretty important. Now, you talk a lot, Mike, about the questions that they ask and how we can answer them. So I had a boot camp a couple of weeks ago where I was working with a firm, and they literally had this information. They said, well, what questions do you hear all the time, sales team? But honestly, Mike, they didn't know what to do with those questions. And I said, oh, my goodness, you just developed your own editorial calendar. You just didn't realize it. We're going to answer every single one of these questions in one form of another, and then we're going to prioritize them to make sure that the most painful questions that are being answered are uh, at the forefront, and some of the other ones get weaved in in the nurture. Well, they looked at me like I had two heads. They're like, what? That's what we have to do next? I said, yeah, don't you want to answer the questions of the prospects so they feel good about your company? Oh, yeah. So they kind of intuitively figured, well, we better capture all the questions they're asking, but then they didn't know how to put it into play.
0: Yeah, it's such a good, such a great story. the The questions really are the connective tissue from the buyer journey into a lot of the marketing tactics, right? Your website homepage has to answer a question, right? When someone lands on your homepage, they are looking to see whether you do what they need or not. That is a form of a question, right? Um, I need to buy software to help me with my accounting uh, problems. Oh, this we provide software that helps you with your accounting problems, right? So. Um, now, if you do that in a more compelling way, you're going to a, provide a better experience, but those questions are an excellent place to start. They're, those questions are generally not hard to come by. Um, your point about the salespeople is excellent, and I've also been hearing a lot of people, and this might sound crazy because marketing people don't talk to customers a lot, but Marketing people should get on the phone and talk to customers, talk to prospects, ask them directly what they're, what's going on in their companies and why they reached out and what their issues are and what they're looking for and what they're concerned about. You know, why wouldn't you hire us? Well, I'm not concerned you're big enough. Okay, well, what, are, what, what do you think is big enough? Well, I think big enough is 50 people. Okay, great. Good to know, right? So those questions help inform a lot of what would get done in terms of the work around the touch points. What content do we need to deliver? What pages do we need to have on our website? What, what um, email uh, copy do the sales reps need? How about the customer service reps? You know, What kind of questions are customers providing us? What resources do they need? Maybe they need a whole set of instructional videos that they can provide to answer the most common questions. So instead of someone calling customer service, they can just direct them to a website where all of the videos are answering all their questions and showing them exactly what to do. There's so many ways to skin this cat that um, as long as you have the buyer journey mapped out and the touch points identified and the questions there, the rest of it becomes actually quite easy if you have the resources to build out all those assets.
1: I think really easy.
0: I mean, the only thing that would make it challenging is if you haven't done it before. Like we're saying it's easy, which is what we do all day. But if this is the first time you're doing it, it might take you a little longer than it would take someone like us. You might make a couple more mistakes and stuff that, than we might make because we've gone through it. We have the tools, the, the workshops and the frameworks and stuff. But you do have all of the information you need right there to create a really remarkable experience. And I agree with Eric. You could do it with a little bit of elbow grease and a little bit of teamwork. Yep. All right, let's handle some questions. I got some good ones this week that I want to share with you. So this one starts at the top. So Mandy in Indianapolis, this seems like a cross-functional, even organizational challenge. How do you rally the troops across the organization to get them to think like this? So you do a ton of speaking. You're trying to get people rallied around this idea. What what do you suggest you do to get everybody on the same page here?
1: Well, I mean in my experience, most companies, they wanna do the best they can. They're strapped for time and nobody's really leading the charge. So I think that you have to have a champion about the buyer's journey. Typically, maybe that's VP of marketing, maybe director of sales, something along those lines. And that person has to like rally the team. Like we wanna make this the best experience possible when people are trying to buy from us. So one, I think you need someone to lead the charge and coordinate it. Two is revenue Right, which is by the way, the name of this show, Right, What's Wrong With Revenue, it comes from lots of places. It could come from marketing, it could come from sales, it could even come from ongoing customer service. So we need representatives of all those departments there to kind of put their heads together because if marketing is offering something and sales can't deliver it, the buyer's journey breaks down, there's friction, people freak out and they go to your competitors. Nobody wants that. So we need to have representation at the table from those areas. We also need representation from the table of leadership. Leadership has to make sure that the message that we're sending, the stories that we're telling, the content we're delivering is not only correct and on voice, but also is within the budget. We can't say, we're going to send a gold-blind whatever to prospects uh, that costs $100 if we're selling things for $150, right? So we have to have some financial understanding, too, of like, what are we going to do to invest in a better buyer's journey? Is it going to be reasonable and fit our uh, company's uh, financial requirements? Now, when you got all those people together, I think it's an old fashioned whiteboard mapping exercise, right? Let's start at the beginning. Give me the three most popular ways that they get to us. What are the points of entry? They call in, they go to the website, uh, they talk to a buddy, right? A colleague. All right. Based upon that, what would be their next move? Well, in all those cases, I would assume they would all go to the website, right? For like to check them out before they start to engage. Now, if I don't, I don't even have to ask the question. People listening today, is your website up to snuff? The answer is no, because I look at uh, websites and I see one out of every 50, realistically, is really kicking butt, and the other ones are just a brochure they put up and they left alone and it's a dead project. The website has to be alive, it has to be filled with content, it has to be so ridiculously easy to navigate. It's got to be places where at this point, of the buyer's journey, people will typically be on this page and these questions we need answers and this content has to be offered. So that's where I'm saying it's an old fashioned whiteboard exercise where, you know, kind of flow charting out what their journey looks like. Now, there might be some healthy dispute also, right? Hey, in my experience in dealing with prospects, they say this and then client services. Well, in actuality, when they get to be a client, they say that. So maybe there's a little discussion around which approach you should take, what story you should be telling, what content you should be offering. But to me, that's optimizing or fine tuning this journey. You're really trying to build it so that it's really great. And then, of course, when the journey's done, you have to apply some sort of metrics calculation to what's going on. If everybody visits your website for validation, we have website statistics. But what happens after that? If they download a white paper, what happens after that? If they decide they're sitting in on a webinar, what happens after they sit in on a webinar? Did they sign up for the webinar, miss the webinar, and watch the recording? I don't know. Let's look at the metrics. And then, of course, when they raise their hand and they say they want to speak to someone in the sales function, what happens there as far as like how many opportunities do we get, close rate, and whatever? That way, when the journey is mapped and the metrics are applied to each stage of the journey, when we're optimizing the entire journey, we have some hard data from which to make decisions. Because if People are signing up for the webinar. We never hear from them again. Whoa, whoa, what are we doing there? Change the webinar, get rid of the webinar, change the topic of the webinar, bring in uh, partners to, webinar, to do the webinar with us as opposed to doing it ourselves. The data points to the fact that it needs some kind of help. Now, the last part about that is asking the perspective and hopefully the current client who went through that journey, what can we do better? And the answer there will typically find some nuggets like, you know, it would have been great if I had an infographic that showed you versus the other options. Oh, we never thought of that in our whiteboard session. Let's put that on the parking lot to develop and introduce that into the buyer's journey so that once again, we could uh, help them with their questions or concerns. And that is to me how I typically counsel people to develop that buyer's journey and when it's done and you've posted it uh, to optimize it as well.
0: Yeah, I think I'm going to just reinforce a couple points you made. If my, you know, Andy, if your question is how do we rally the troops to like work on this kind of thing, the best way would be to go to leadership with a whole set of comments from prospects and customers, right? Your agreement is too legal, right? I, I had to send it to an attorney. I wish it was just something I could understand. It took me three weeks and I had to incur legal expenses just to make sure I was okay working with you, Right. That's a comment. If you hear that a couple of times, you can bring it to the table and discuss it as ways to improve the buyer journey. You know, I really liked your marketing materials. I thought they were very educational and I liked that you didn't email me too frequently, but once I got a sales rep involved, Oh my God, he was calling me every day. Like that's feedback that you can get directly that you can collect when talking to prospects and you can use that to, to to highlight those areas of the experience that are not working properly. The other thing is, and we didn't talk about it much, but Eric did mention it. There's existing data right now on the performance of your experience. You know how many people are coming to your website. You know how many people are converting. You know how many people are getting handed off to sales. You know how many people's sales are closing. You know how many customers are rebuying. You, know, you should know whether customers are, are uh, promoting you or not, whether you're getting referrals and references and, and online reviews. Like You should have that data. If that data looks like it's underperforming to you, take that to leadership as well and highlight the underperformance and say, look, if we upgraded the experience in these two areas for marketing and these two areas for sales and these two areas for customer service, I think our numbers would look something like this. Who's going to say no to that? So I think there are a couple of uh, relatively easy moves you can make to present some data to leadership to get the entire organization behind this idea that the experience needs to be upgraded.
1: Well, well said, Mike.
0: Thank you. All right, so this is from Mark in New York City. I've seen a number of buyer journey frameworks. How important is this in the process? And do you have anything that you use in the process? So I'll I'll answer this, Eric. We will look, we talked about the cyclonic buyer journey. If you're interested in it, it's on our website. It's in the book that Eric mentioned, smash the funnel. You can look at it yourself. I do think a buyer journey framework is necessary. I think without it, you'd be kind of like trying to find your way without a map, right? You might get some of the steps. You might miss some of the steps. I think having an incomplete buyer journey, and, and uh, touch points that are unaccounted for is going to leave your uh, effort to tighten this entire experience up. It's gonna it's gonna leave it incomplete, and it may perform in a in a way that highlights its incompleteness. So I think having the complete experience mapped out is very important. In fact, I wouldn't even progress until you were able to, you know, a few of you were able to say, yes, this looks like a complete buyer journey and all the touch points are represented here. Um, again, you won't know if you're making any progress if you've missed some, because that's, it might be all it takes. Like one bad experience as we all know as, as consumers is enough to turn us off to the, to an entire company. So I think you need a framework. There are a number of frameworks. You can Google buyer journey framework. You can use ours. But yeah, I think, Mark, having a framework is going to be very important in the process. Plus, like I said earlier, you've never done this before. So um, using something that can kind of guide you along the way to make sure you don't miss any steps or any stages, I think is important. Anything you want to add, Eric?
1: No, no, but that's true. Like, it's like, these aren't the things you do every day in business, right? This is like a new exercise, having that framework to lean into. The framework is going to have the major chunks that you can attack and then you can kind of like uh, personalize it or edit it to fit your company.
0: Yeah. Very good point. I mean, and there's some nuances to these stages too, at least in our framework, like, you know, like consideration might sound like evaluation, but there's a big difference, right? When you're in the consideration stage, you've recognized you have a problem, but you don't know how you're going to solve that problem yet. I might hire someone, I might uh, get an agency. I might you know, uh, have an internal SWAT team spun up to, to handle this particular thing. So the fact that you've recognized an issue is one thing. That's a great step, but you're still trying to decide how to solve that problem. When you get to evaluation, you've decided you're hiring an agency and you've picked three and you're evaluating them. You're like, there's, a, there's a big difference in those steps. And without the framework, you might miss some of the nuance to those steps and miss some of the touch points your prospects are going through. All right, Larry in Los Angeles, how do you go from a defined prospect journey to uncovering the issues that prospects need addressing along the way? And we did talk about that a little bit today. Um, The touchpoint mapping is one way. The questions is a great way. Um, I might even lean into the questions a little more than the touchpoint mapping. I think they're both important. But those questions come directly from the clients and prospects. And answering them is going to uh, check a lot of boxes for those people in terms of making them feel better about what they're going through with you. So I think both of those items are probably the, uh, equally important. If you had to pick one or you wanted to pick one or maybe resources were limited, mapping out those questions is going to be a very good way to create a really good experience. Taking the, the, doing the touch points is probably going to be better, but require a little more work
1: in my experience, people are more than happy to pour their hearts out to you about what issues they have. You just have to ask.
0: There is no question about it. And in fact, they like being asked. And it's part of the experience, really. You know, sometimes uh, I'll go back after we close a couple of clients and ask them while we're working with them, well, what, why'd you pick us? Like, what did you, you know, what, what was the trigger? Like, how did it, how did you decide to hire a Nine times out of 10, their answer is, well, you're my experience with you guys in the sales process was just remarkable and different than the other companies. So, you know, right there, you're getting good feedback simply by asking um, an indication that maybe we're on the right track. Not that our sales process is perfect, but we have spent a lot of time creating that experience and the prospects seem to connect with it um, pretty, pretty consistently. All right, Pete in Dallas wants to know, how would we go about getting prospect and client feedback to inform the experience and upgrade the touch points? Okay, so we talked about asking, right? But there must be some other ways, Eric. How, how, what are some other ways that uh, Pete could get prospect and client feedback other than just asking people?
1: Yeah, so I, I think there's two ways. One will be ongoing and one will be, let's just call it project-oriented. When you're setting up your buyer's journey, I don't think that there's any problem explaining to people, hey, we're working on our own company. You approached our company. Would you be interested in being part of a beta program? And all beta program is going to do is ask you at each step of the process, could you give us a little feedback? Do you have to do that in exchange for a something, something maybe to make it a little easier for people to participate? But I know if we were revamping the square two buyer's journey and I said to the next prospect that reached out to us, Hey, would you mind working with us like we want to make this better. Just give me some feedback on each step of the experience. I'm going to email you what to expect and this is our process and uh, we're just going to send you a quick uh, two minute uh, survey or, uh, you know, like they have at the airport. uh, Happy face not so happy face medium face kind of sad face really sad face and just click on it. Let us know if we're doing what you think we should be doing. I think if you got, I don't know, a dozen or two people to participate in that, that would really be kind of like um, live uh, market research going on that you could edit it. The other one is ongoing. I mean, you said it yourself, Mike. Hey, periodically, I take a couple of clients. I ask them why they chose us. And in that same conversation, what could we have done better to make life easier for you as you chose our company or any company who's listening? And then ongoing feedback, I think, could be process-driven or systematized. Over time, maybe the email comes out from you, Mike, and it's nice and warm and fuzzy, but it's really a template in HubSpot.
0: Yeah, I love the, um, the faces, right? Because we talked about how people are feeling at different stages of the buyer journey. So, you know, you could easily do this in an automated way on your website. Hey, how are you feeling, right? Like if this is a look, websites have pages for all stages of the buyer journey. Right. So if you want to see how someone's doing in the education stage, simply pop up the how are we doing, taking care of you, uh, uh, pop up with the different faces on a piece of content that you're serving up that's helping to educate them. Get a happy face, medium face, neutral face, sad face and and see how you're doing. Those can be integrated into emails, too. Hey, we're in the middle of the sales process. I just want to see how you're feeling. You know, give us an idea, happy, neutral or sad. Right. So it, it look, asking is the most direct way to do it. I know a lot of people and some companies are even shy to ask people for uh, feedback in the middle of a process like this. Like maybe if they're a customer, it would be different. But if I really want to ask a prospect who's I'm, I'm trying to get to close the deal, how we're doing. Like some people might be shy to do that. Consider some of these other tools because they can be served up in a really automated way in a non-intrusive way. No, everyone's not going to click on the buttons. But if you got enough people to do it, at least you would have some uh feedback in terms of how the experiences are going and how the how the touch points are performing
1: i just want to apologize to any airport administrators out (laughs) there i do not touch the happy faces in the bathroom because it's in the bathroom and it keeps me out
0: you usually lick those don't you
1: ah (laughs) stop
0: okay uh this is from steve in philadelphia some of these experiential upgrades can be done by people who are in the trenches How can we empower them to make some changes that don't need sign-off from the CEO? This is an excellent question, right?
1: I mean, it's really an excellent question. Right, go ahead,
0: take a crack at that.
1: Well, you touched base on it earlier with that housekeeping at Disney Properties is loving the fact that they're making the experience for folks that stay in their rooms remarkable, right? They're doing the little uh, figurines with the towels and they're moving Mickey Mouse around and all that kind of fun stuff, right? I think the team, if properly educated as to the why you're going to do these things and then compensated for coming up with great ideas, I think it's fun. It's a fun part of your business. Plus, you get positive feedback from clients, right? Hey, thank you so much for doing that. Now, um, I would think back to my uh, car experience, right? If the car experience, which obviously was executed by technicians, was uh, made playful, right? So for example, let's say under the mat on the front, there was a little handwritten note, right? Or let's say that uh, they hung a little air freshener in my car with the company logo, right? I didn't ask for that, I didn't pay for that. And I came in for a car repair, not for a detailing job, but those little points might be fine. Like, hey, uh, my name is Tim. I'm, I'm now bringing your car around. Um, There are three special things I put in your car. See if you can find them over the next couple of days. Good luck. How much would that cost? Like 83 cents. The technician would be involved because of the secret three things that I'd have to find. I'd have a great experience. He called it out. Uh, Don't forget, I'm getting the survey from that auto repair place. And now I'm thinking about the freshener and the handwritten note and all that. So of course I'm giving a higher score. It's easy. But what I really think that happens is that there's a chasm between the people that are executing and leadership or marketing and sales coming up with these ideas. Why can't the guy or gal who's uh, delivering the car in the auto repair place, sitting in on the meeting where they're talking about how to make the uh, experience remarkable, they're just as much a consumer as anybody else, bring them in, let's have some great ideas. And it also helped with buy-in because if they're part of the decision-making process, and they're like excited about that, Then they'll buy in and do those little touch points or little wows, as you called them earlier, Mike, without hesitation.
0: Yeah, I have nothing to add to that. It was perfect. but Except that how many people would you tell if they hid little gems in your car when you picked it up? You'd be telling everybody.
1: Uh, Everybody, because those stories are rare. Companies that go to the extra effort of making those little touch points remarkable are rare, which is why we have to fall back on Disney all the time, because it's not like, oh, my local dry cleaner uh, put an apple and a banana and a pear and said, look, we want you to eat your fruits. Here, uh, take this little refrigerated bag when you pick up your dry cleaning. I'd be like my wife, Bonnie, Bonnie. The dry cleaner gave me three pieces of fruit, wants me to eat healthy. This is amazing. And I'd be telling everybody I'd be taking pictures of it and putting it on the gram, right? Yeah. That's the way it works.
0: And that people would be when they need a dry cleaner, like, oh, I should check out this place. They give out free fruit.
1: Well, think about it though. How much is the combination of a banana, apple, and a pear? A dollar? 50? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But a dollar 50 compared to a lifetime customer bringing dry cleaning every week for, you know, uh, eternity. Yeah, Seems to be a good investment.
0: Agreed. Agreed. Those are some good examples. I always think of the uh, Southwest. What, what, what are we calling them these days? Flight attendant with the funny announcements like it's kind yeah. of the same thing, right? They're trying to make their experience on the plane a little more enjoyable as opposed to uh, white knuckling because you have to know where your are uh, what do you call it? Um, life preserver is every minute, right?
1: Yeah, it's interesting because I travel quite a bit and I've been on other airlines that Southwest uh, uh, execution, I'll call like the the, the humor uh, spreads to all the airlines now. Right. Uh, there was a real funny one. It said, uh, please check uh, that if someone left their husband at the gate and if you don't want them to come on the trip, let us know. We'll close the door. Right. Like <laughs> like something uh-huh. like that, you know, and yeah. I'm like, oh, this is JetBlue. I, I, I didn't expect that from, China, right. you know.
0: Right. Cool. All right. This is from Donna in Pittsburgh. Can you talk more about the upgrades in the customer service area? How do we upgrade the experience there too? Got any advice for
1: Donna? Well, I mean, it depends on your business, right? You, you, you really want your customer service people, number one, executing on what the people bought. Like, let's not forget that that's table stakes. If the, my project is going to be done on Thursday, hey, customer service person, get it done on Thursday. Because there's no cute pieces of fruit or handwritten notes that are going to cover up on a missed deadline. So let's not make sure we lose focus of the execution. But in customer service, there's a great opportunity there to develop a relationship with some little wows that will build the relationship so that they know hey this is uh, my person i gotta tell you i have been trying to collect i had an old credit card i've been trying to collect on like the few remaining points that i had on there and they said we'll send you a gift card and it never came and then i called and i said hey it never came and then they said well let me put you on hold talk to my manager then they hung up on me like the execution was so simple. You have a program, first deliver me the credit card. Now, the, sorry, the points that came with the credit card. Now, if they would have said, listen, I've just blocked out the rest of my day. I'm not only going to find out what these points are, but I'm going to get you authorized for a FedEx overnight delivery to get these to you. And we really apologize. By the way, I'm now going to chat you my cell phone number that you could call me anytime in case you have any other problems. Can you imagine if I had an inside person at the credit card company, how I'd feel? So I think that there's a lot of opportunities. But first, effing deliver me the points that I'm supposed to have before we start developing that extra relationship. That is a plea because I don't think a lot of companies deliver on just a basic agreement of what they sold or, or are providing. And that's where it makes customer service hard because they're scrambling all day to find out how to cure the problem as opposed to brainstorming how they can make the relationship richer.
0: Yeah, it's a very good point. Over the summer, I bought some outdoor furniture and I had a, the person that was helping me, we were texting, which is interesting, right? So I actually had an inside person and they were helping me figure out what to buy and all those things. And then in the end, couldn't really deliver the things that I was asking for. So it kind of, you know, erased all the goodwill I got from that kind of interesting experience, one-to-one experience with a customer service department because they just, their, their delivery fell down. So I think it's a good point, blocking and tackling, you gotta do what you said you're gonna do. You gotta do it, you know, as quickly and as efficiently as possible. And then I think you can look for some little wows that might make the experience, you know, better. And some of those can be communication. You know, we've, we've shared with a lot of clients the uh, CD Now story where they created these remarkable emails that were so well-written and so uh, elaborate in in the description of the, of the simple, simply shipping the CD out to the customer. Like I don't find companies are really great with shipping. Um, You know, a lot of them are just forwarding the, the FedEx notifications from the FedEx technology, you know, onto your customer, your, your, your product is shipped your products on the truck. Like, okay, that's great. But I get that from everybody. And, you know, a little more detail might be nice. You know, it's in the back of the truck. It's going to be there in 10 minutes. I mean, they probably could do something to make that experience a lot more interesting. And, you know, I'd be willing to give them my phone number so that I can get more accurate updates and more detail about where my product is. We're all so excited for these things that we're ordering to show up at the door, right? You know, like as soon as it's there, we're running out to get it and opening it up. Like just, you know, understand that about us, and continue that in the in the delivery process, and that's that's one way that I think they can add some little wows to a pretty mundane piece of the puzzle. There,
1: I, I have a quick story um, for those of you that are not on the East Coast listening today. There's a great company called Wawa, W-A-W-A, which is basically the best convenience store attached to a gas station you'll find in the universe. Don't even start with the sheets if you're going to start emailing me. I'm not (laughs) doing those emails. Wawa is the greatest. We have a Wawa credit card for the company because they sell gas and we want our employees to have gas if they need it, right? Do you know what the, um, when we get the uh, email with the bill each month, do you know who's who's the uh, uh, sent by name? No, I don't. W E X.
0: W E X. Wax.
1: Right. Which I don't know who that is. So Wax, I assume, is for Wawa Exchange or Wawa X something, right? So I don't know who that is. I'm deleting the bill. Nobody at Wawa said, let's see what it looks like when you get the bill. Right, Would right, it right. Be confusing if it didn't say Wawa gas bill on <laughs> yeah. like like like. And it's month after now that i know what it is that i don't delete it because once again the bill was late because i well where's the bill what do you mean we sent it to you it's an email box i'm like what you're wex now i didn't have no idea the point i'm trying to make is that if they would just say map out the buyer experience and what happens when you actually get the wawa bill well wait a minute it says wax, but people might not let's change that to wawa it would be that simple now i deleted my own bill I was late on my bill. They tried to charge me a uh, late fee and I didn't even know that the bill was coming in. And if anything, my beloved brand that I love so much was just a bit tarnished because they didn't think through that. And that's customer service because remember yes. I already bought the gas. They already got me the car some salesman or or marketing person got me the car. They did that job. But now it's like ongoing delivery is, is subpar.
0: Yeah, it's such a good point. So there are tons of things you can do in customer service to make that experience uh, much more wowy, as we like to say at Square 2. So oh, yeah. I got a question from Carl in New Jersey that we might be able to answer, but we'll take a crack at it. Are there technology tools that make this easier for companies? Um, I looked at his question, and you know, my answer, Eric, you might know, was I'm sure there are. I couldn't think of any at the top of my head. Yes, marketing automation and CRM and, you know, customer service tools are probably going to help with the execution of it. But I didn't feel like that's really what they were asking about. I felt like they were asking more about the, you know, setting up and planning piece of it. And I'm, I don't really know if there are any technology tools to do that. Uh, but the, but the, I wouldn't, You know, maybe I was too quick to downplay the execution part of it because if you do have a good toolkit, you can do some things that maybe you wouldn't be able to do normally, right? Like you can potentially route a chat to a rep that the person already knows, like we were talking about that that experience I had with my outdoor furniture. Like you can um, create these really crazy and personal emails that people send to improve the experience. You can create a knowledge base with a service uh, tool that answers customers questions and maybe there's videos included in that too. And you can direct people there. So I think there are some, some basic execution oriented tools that would make what we're talking about. Easy, easier, Carl. I would, I would start there and see where that gets you.
1: Yeah. If not, sounds like an opportunity, Mike.
0: (laughs) Right. All right. Last question from Janice in Miami, who usually leads this effort inside the company And what if we take your advice and bring in outside experts? Ah, look at this. She's from, she listened to our last episode. Um, Is it a marketing agency or some other type of firm? So who usually does this work, Eric?
1: Well, marketing usually leads this charge. There's no doubt about it, right? So um, the customer journey, which are the touch points that marketing is providing all along the prospecting thing is usually marketing. There are uh, agencies that uh, specialize in the brand experience. Um, sometimes they're a bit corporate for some of the entrepreneurial or mid-market companies that might be listening today, but there are resources out there. But honestly, like my first pass would be, why don't you just stand in the shoes of the prospect first? Maybe there's three or four easy adjustments you could make without going to a branding agency or an experiential marketing firm and just start there because these are not big things, right? Changing WEX to Wawa is not where you need an agency for, right? Making sure that you deliver the outdoor furniture when it was promised, not so hard. Uh, deliver the outdoor furniture and put in a small plastic plant that costs a dollar with a sign that says, you know, uh, decorate your new outdoor setting with this with this fake plan. right? <laughs> like that oh look, they got everybody loves something for free. You get the free dessert at the restaurant, you talk about it for 2 weeks.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, there are chief revenue officers that this might be, you know, inside an organization, your CRO might own the, there are chief customer officers now. Like I know HubSpot has a chief customer officer, someone that's only responsible for the customer experience. So I think it's some progressive companies, there are C-level jobs that would kind of span this across all these different departments. And yes, there are definitely agencies that can help you with this, but I I think Eric's right. You know, empower your team to identify those little things that just don't seem right and fix them. It's gonna make a world of difference. Anything else you want to add before I wrap up?
1: <clears throat> just going to give you a big hallelujah, what you just said. Makes Thank you. A difference. Thank you. makes a difference.
0: Everybody, thanks for joining us. It's been a pleasure. We love topics like this. Next week, we're gonna talk about uh, you never prioritized your database as an important corporate asset. So you have these contacts in that database somewhere and you don't know anything about them. You don't know who they are. You don't know whether it's clean, accurate, old, new. So we're gonna talk about how that could be preventing you from hitting your revenue goals. You might be surprised if this comes up more frequently than not. Eric, thanks really, uh, thanks so much for joining me. Really appreciate your contribution to the show today. Remember, you can check us out on YouTube at Square2Marketing's YouTube channel, like us, subscribe to the show, and leave comments. We check it every single week. You can get the show at our streaming free streaming service, Square2Plus, out on the Square2Marketing website at square2marketing.com backslash Square2MarketingPL, Square2PLUS, sorry, Square2PLUS for square 2 Plus. All of our audio and video content is posted there. Go check it out. We have all kinds of cool things there if you're interested in audio and video content. And if you want to subscribe to the show directly or you want to leave us a question like the questions we answered today, head on over to our website, shoot down to the bottom. There's a link for what's wrong with revenue. Click it and you'll be able to subscribe to the show. Get it on your calendar and leave us questions. Thanks, everybody. We really appreciate you listening, watching and participating. Have a great day and we'll see you next Wednesday.
1: See ya.